by Sean McBride, read by Ed Robinson. Roger Tambor climbed the hill like a lynx hunting its prey, sweating from the weight of his pack and the heat of the desert sun. The intelligence he had gotten from his informant told him his mark would be bartering a deal in twenty minutes two hundred yards south of the hill he was climbing. He had just enough time to crest the hill, settle, and then facilitate the kill. Such effort for that single beautiful moment when his rifle, the impeccable extension of his arm, bucked against his shoulder and the mark would be felled. There was no Semper Fi in this business, no glory, no gung-ho motherfuckers, just Roger and the pop of his rifle echoing, indicating the hollow void it brought. <laughs> Boy, you shut that goddamn animal up, or are you gonna make me do something about it? Pete Tambor leaned out of his lazy boy and craned his neck into the living room where Roger was playing. I'm serious now, I've eaten mangier in Vietnam. Pete was an absentee father. He was only around for about a week a month. Roger's mother, Patricia, told him his father traveled for work, but he always came home stinking of booze and cheap perfumes. Roger slowly got to his feet, putting his arms out for balance. He had just turned four and was a little wobbly on his feet. Shit, boy, you need to learn your balance. Pete turned back to the television and carefully lifted a bud to his lips. Roger waddled over to the small collie puppy rolling on its back next to his father's chair. His mother had named the dog Spunky. You stupid, lazy, fat piece of shit. Patricia stormed into the room, waving a letter in her hand. Roger stood on his little fat legs with a look of surprise on his mother's sudden entrance. The dog barked in response to Patricia's tone. You talking to me, baby? Pete said, not taking his eyes from the television. What the fuck is this? She stood in front of him, waving the letter with a hand on her hip. Jesus, woman, you're worse than the dog, Pete said, taking another swig of beer. He didn't move, but slightly raised his eyes to meet hers. Spunky stopped rolling around and turned to face the drama, giving a sharp, high-pitched bark. Get that fucking mutt out of here, Roger! Patricia turned to her son with her eyes burning and then turned back to Pete. Is this a fucking pink slip? She asked, rustling it in his face again. Roger looked down at the dog and then back up at his mother. They'd freed him from the pound a month earlier, and Patricia had said it was the most beautiful creature she'd ever seen. It was one of the best days Roger had ever had. What the fuck you think it is? It's pink, ain't it? Pete gave a wry smile and stared deep in her eyes. So... Let me get this straight. You don't clean, you don't take care of the children, you can't get it up, and now you're not even working? Now both fists were pressed to her hips, and the letter was crumpled in her hand. Huh, Pete said, raising his eyes thoughtfully and rubbing his chin. Looks about that way, doesn't it? Well, except for getting it up, it's hard to fuck a bitch while she's complaining about you the entire time. Fuck you! I'm done, you piece of shit! He threw the letter at Pete, turned, and walked out the door. It was the last time Roger saw his mother. What got up her ass, huh? Pete said, turning to face Roger. You gonna get that thing out of the room or not, boy? Jeopardy's on! Lookout duty. It was the slowest task in the barracks, and Roger resented Sven for making them pull it. Their job was to watch the access road, that led to the barracks and shoo away any visitors. Out of ten shifts, Roger had only seen one civilian approach the gate, and when he realized where he was, the man had quickly turned and walked away. It was a slow time, 
when you got to know the guy you were with because there wasn't anything to do other than talk. So there they stood, rifles at their sides and faces showing the torture of boredom. Fucking dogs, Sven spat out. Roger didn't respond, but turned to look at his comrade. Don't look at me like that, man. Fucking thing had it coming, and you know it. Fucker bites. Roger didn't know the whole story and wasn't sure if he wanted to. All Roger knew was they were pulling head duty together when Sven had wandered off. Then the sergeant's dog was found dead under the steps of C Company's barracks. Fuck, it's like he could smell it on me, man. Sven started to violently scratch his head. It was the part of the army that always pleased Roger. He didn't know about Sven's past, and he wasn't particularly interested. But he knew it was checkered. Like he could smell the fucking thing's saliva. I swear, man, that his nostrils actually flared as he was looking me over. Thought he was gonna cry. Roger was glad to have Sven next to him, glad that Sven was in the same company because it lessened the chance that he would ever have to stare down a rifle at him. Lessened. You got any grass, man? I need to relax. Sven fidgeted and swung his rifle over his shoulder, bending to tie his shoe. Tell you what, man, I'm gonna go over there by the fence and jack one. You stick here and keep your queer boy eyes to yourself, got it? When dealing with Sven, Roger realized the best recourse was to say nothing and let Sven assume your answer. He took silence for acceptance. While Sven was doing his business, Roger leaned back and drank in the clear blue skies. It was a beautiful day, and it reminded him of his first day in the army when he knew for sure that he had escaped from his family, from his drunkard father, from his sister who worked herself into the ground to pay for everything for their family, and from his younger brother, who discovered meth and began to steal from his sister's purse. He walked out into the cool air and felt his first breath of freedom. He vowed he would spend his whole new life trying to forget his old one. Should have fucked the dog first before I killed it, Sven said, walking back over, buttoning up his trousers as he did so. Could have released some of the tension in my shoulders. Sven smiled a crooked, snaggletooth grin and patted Roger on the shoulder. Bet you think killing a dog is a rush. Just wait till we get over to Iraq. There's gonna be a storm in the desert for sure, and that fucking storm is of Norwegian descent. Despite his vulgar behavior and his bravado, Roger saw intelligence behind Sven's eyes. Brutal and honest. He knew in that moment that he could never cross Sven, because Sven would never give him a second chance. Roger gently cocked his head to the side to look through the scope. The pudgy white man was centered in the crosshairs as he brokered whatever transaction he had set up. Roger took out his DEA-issued pen and wrote down, Short description of the contact. Tall, skinny, white woman, 35, brown hair, strong handshake, confident body language. Roger took a deep breath and gently placed his fingers over the trigger. He began to say the prayer he had learned from the Norwegian sniper who had died in his arms. He began a countdown in his head, all the while keeping the short, pudgy man in his kill zone. Boy, another F. I ain't raising no dumbasses. What's this all about? Pete stumbled out of the kitchen, waving around Carl's report card. They'd lived in a sty ever since Patricia had walked out on them. They never received a note from her. She never called to ask how they were doing. It was just Katie, Roger, Carl, and their drunken father. You hear me, boy? Pete drooled as he spoke. It had been three years since Pete had held a job, and he'd had a beer in his hand nearly the entire time. Carl never heard his father stumbling around the house because he was holed up in his room listening to Pink Floyd, high as a kite, and trying to forget his life. 
he had taken comfortably numb as his anthem the year before. He had shrunken in on himself and refused to speak about anything but superficialities to everyone except Roger. When Pete burst into the room, Carl didn't have time to hide the marijuana in the baggie on his bed, but luckily, in his drunken stupor, Pete sat on it without noticing. What's up, Pete? Carl had just turned 13 and long since lost any respect for his father. Shouldn't call me that, Pete said, losing his steam and forgetting why he'd come into the room. It's your name, isn't it? Carl's rejoinder was icy. Why don't you call me Dad? Pete said, raising his arm to ruffle Carl's hair. Carl moved out of the way. I'll try to do that. Carl's gray eyes stared back into his father's dull blue ones. I'm gonna take a nap now, okay? Carl said without even faking a yawn. Nah, why don't you come out and watch TV with your pops? Pete reached out again, and again Carl deftly moved out of the way. No, I think you need to talk to Roger. I think he said he was going into the army, Carl said in a monotone. He didn't think it would get his brother into trouble, he just wanted to get rid of Pete. What? Pete said, swaying on the bed. Yep, spoke to a recruiter. They said in two years, when he turns 18, he'll be a shoo-in. Carl got up as he spoke and walked to the head of the bed, pulling the sheets aside. Fuck you say! Pete got up, knocked the weed to the ground, and stormed out of the room. Raj! He yelled out into the house. Pete, will you knock it off? Katie yelled back at him from the kitchen. She was going over rental units because she couldn't pay the mortgage to the house and the collectors had started calling. Don't you call me Pete! You call me father! Pete yelled as he stumbled back down the hall. In the past three years, he had put multiple dents in the weak walls during his drunken meanderings. Why don't you act like a fucking father, you asshole? Katie said under her breath. And by the way, Roger isn't home. He's off playing in the park. Pete made it into the room and threw down Carl's report card, stomping on it in the process. Playing in the fucking park? He's 16 goddamn years old! He's too old to be playing in the park! Pete said, making his way towards the refrigerator. You fucking kids drive me to drink! That's why you do it? I didn't know. Katie didn't mask her condensation. Goddamn right! Pete took two beers from the fridge and took them to the living room to his favorite seat in front of the TV. The argument forgotten. Katie wrote a quick note to Roger, posted it on the refrigerator, and then went into Carl's room. I'm going to find a way out of here, Carl, she said from the doorway. Carl was sitting at the window, looking out into the mid-afternoon gloom. Whatever. He didn't turn around. These Iraqi motherfuckers ain't going to know what hit them. Ben chuckled as he cleaned his rifle. The two of them had gone into sharpshooter school together and had done fairly well. Ben was a natural. He didn't seem to ever miss right from the beginning of training. The mark could be running, they could be hiding. Sven never missed. He was a killing machine, and he was never happier than when he hit his target. Roger, on the other hand, struggled. His hands were a shaky bundle of nerves, and he had trouble understanding how to lead the mark. As Sven continued to excel, Roger became increasingly determined. As time in camp grew longer, so did the war. He knew it was only a matter of time before his squad was called into battle, and he knew he needed to pass his sniper exam. There was no way he was going to war without Sven the killing machine at his side, despite knowing clearly that Sven was a sociopath. Roger never felt more comfortable than when he was in his presence. 
He knew Sven had accepted Roger as a friend because Roger had accepted him for who he was, even with knowing about Sven's homicidal tendencies. In the real world, their friendship would never have blossomed, and Roger knew it. He would never tell Sven that, though, because he didn't know if Sven realized that the only reason Roger felt comfortable with him was because they had a common enemy. There was a direction for Sven's psychosis. Without direction, Roger didn't know what Sven would do. You're telling me. They walk by a building with Sven the killing machine in, they're gonna be red paste on the sidewalk. They would banter for hours, each trying to top the other's crudeness, both ignoring the fact that the next morning they were going into a city where the enemy outnumbered them three to one. Roger flattened himself on the ground, zeroing in on the mark. He thought back to his training. He thought about Carl playing shooting games with him in the arcade when they were kids. He thought of Sven and how familiar their family's actions were. He thought about Katie and how she was working with a lawyer in New York now. He thought about Carl in jail. He thought about the abuse of his mother and father. He thought about the connection he had with Carl and Katie, and he felt the fear welled in his cheeks. He looked down at the chubby man through the scope and realized the man was looking at him. Had in fact winked at him. And Roger's tears poured. He paused, his finger waiting for the tears to clear, and his vision to return so he could gaze back into Carl's gray, pleading eyes. saw the Iraqi soldiers retreating. The bullet had taken Sven by surprise just a moment before piercing his jugular and knocking him back on his ass. Oh fuck, 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 oh fuck. Sven kept repeating the words, his hand clamped on his own neck. Medic! Roger yelled and ran to his fallen friend. Shit, man! Fuck got me! Sven's skin had already paled. You'll be alright, fucker just got lucky, man. Roger said, putting his hand over Sven's, increasing the pressure on Sven's neck. Bitch hurts, man! Can't believe how lucky that guy got! It was always luck when an Iraqi shot an American, but skill when an American shot an Iraqi. Yeah, fucking Sunday fighters don't have a chance. Don't know why they're even trying. Roger could feel the pulse of Sven's blood against his hand. He could also feel Sven's hand weakening. Man, it's, it's fucking cold in here. You, you got any water? Sven's eyes became glossy. Fuck. Medic! Roger couldn't hide his impatience as he felt the blood rushing between Sven's fingers. Cool it, man. Cool it. It's too late. Roger looked back down at his comrade and felt panic. Don't you give up! I need your crazy ass to keep me alive! You'll be alright. Remember the prayer. It'll calm you. Sven said. His hand released its grip and only stayed in place because Roger was holding it there. Remember our families brought us here. We can party in hell when you die. Quitter! Fuck you, I ain't going to hell! Roger screamed in his dead friend's face. Taking him out of here, Rog. I'm sorry, but he needs freedom from this place. Katie sat on the bed, stroking Carl's hair while Roger stood in the doorway. He had known this was coming, but he couldn't bring himself to give Katie his prepared speech. He wanted to tell her they needed to stay together. He wanted to say they needed each other's support. Instead, he just stood there nodding at her. When I heard him come home, I got out of bed to check on him. By the time I got there, he'd thrown up on his bed and was lying in his own filth. Roger looked down to his snoring brother and then back at his big sister. He had $2,000 in his pocket, Raj. He's selling this shit now. 
Roger looked one more time at Carl. He took note of Carl's emaciated form, the blood stains on his upper lip from his bloody nose, the sweaty, tousled hair, and Roger came to his own conclusion. We have to get out of here. Carl can't stay any longer. He needs to get away from that asshole. She nodded her head towards the living room to indicate Pete. He needs to get clean, and he needs to stop getting abused. We're going to New York. Far enough away from here that I don't think he can find us. Let the bastard rot. Roger turned and looked at the door leading to the living room. Then he looked back at his sister, and the realization of Katie's words struck him all at once. They all needed emancipation. I can't go with you. His words were soft and quiet. He dropped his eyes as he said it, feeling shame blush his cheeks. You have to go with us. I need help with Carl. It isn't going to be easy getting him off this shit. He could see anger creating creases at the corners of her mouth, and his shame blossomed enough to change his complexion. Can't do it. I'm not going with you. Roger slowly raised his eyes to meet Katie's. He could see the hurt in her eyes. Fine. We don't need you. We lived for years with that pig. She motioned her head toward the living room again. Without your help. So we don't need it now. He didn't respond, just looked at her. He felt the shame, but he didn't feel remorse. He knew he had to get away from them. Things would never change if he stayed near them. They would always control his emotions. They would always control his actions. Well, no reason to wait. Why don't you get out of here so I can get us packed, huh? She didn't meet his eyes, but she nodded at the door again. Roger acquiesced and joined his father in the living room, pulling a brochure out of his back pocket in the process. In big block letters at the top, it said, An Army of One. Roger could see Sven on the other hill, 300 yards away. He knew Sven never hesitated, even such blaring heat with sweat pouring in his eyes. The rifle rested on its stand, and he relaxed his shoulders. He wished the prayer that Sven said before every kill worked for him like it did with Sven. It seemed simple, but it also seemed to relax him. Sven had ten confirmed kills. Roger had none. But down there in the valley was an Iraqi guard whom they were sent to kill, and Sven refused to do it this time. You're making me the default, Sven had said. You need to do this one. You with me? It wasn't that Roger didn't want to do it. He was aching to. He needed a release for all the pent-up anger he had brewing inside him. But every time he went to pull the trigger, he jumped and missed wide, leaving Sven to make the shot and finish the job. Say the prayer, man. I know you ain't religious, but that shit works. My anticipation goes away, and I can take a deep breath and finally just get to it. Despite what Sven had said, the prayer only took his mind off the guard for a moment. The anticipation was still there, and the excitement would lead his fingers. He focused through the scope and centered the guard's head in the crosshairs. He could see the man's brown eyes and the wrinkles in his face. He had to be in his fifties. Anger suddenly surged through Roger, and he pulled his finger off the trigger before he fired a stray. Who the fuck are you? He muttered under his breath at the guard. Images of beating the guard ran through his head, beating the man's nose, cracking ribs, stomping his fallen form. Then suddenly the man became Pete, and Roger nearly jumped up and charged him. He ripped his face away from the scope and took a few deep breaths. Calm down. Just do it, he whispered to himself. He focused on the guard one more time, took another breath, and pulled the trigger. 
The bullet was true, and the man fell immediately. But Roger felt emptiness creep into him. His first confirmed kill, but there was nothing to it, nothing personal. The man was just a notch on the side of a rifle. Roger's anger grew. Carl said goodnight over the phone to Katie. He told her he was in his room in the recovery clinic, but in actuality he had left two days before and was traveling non-stop since. He hitched rides and rode buses where he could, and where none were available, he walked. His doctor in the clinic told him his drug habit had arisen because of an absence of love as a child and a history of addiction in the family. He was searching to find meaning and searching to find love, and the drugs were his surrogate. He had gotten clean in the clinic, but there was still a nagging hole he didn't know how to fill. He couldn't pinpoint what it was, but there was something deep down in his stomach, like an itch that was too deep to get to. When Carl got to their hometown, he stopped off at a sporting goods store and bought a wooden bat and then headed for his father's house. The sight of the familiar dilapidated facade of his father's house brought tears to his eyes. Not knowing where the tears came from sent Carl into a fury, and he stormed into the house, hearing his father's loud snoring as he entered. The police found him three hours later, curled up on his childhood bed, crying, covered in his father's blood. happened to us? Katie tritely cried. Carl sat on the other side of the bulletproof glass with the phone pressed to his ear. He said nothing, just looked deeply into his sister's eyes. How is it in there? Roger said, trying to catch his brother's attention. What the fuck do you care? Carl's gaze never left Katie's. Don't be so mean, Katie said before a deluge of tears cascaded down her cheeks. Why not? He didn't come with us. He didn't help out. He just helped himself. Now he wants to know what it was like to bash that fuck's head in. That's not what I said. That's what you meant. You were just selfish. You went somewhere where it's legal to kill. You live in a fantasy world where nothing matters but yourself. Katie needed help. I needed help. So we helped each other. Yeah, getting fucked up on meth really helped us out. No, that was how she helped me. She got me off it. I helped her by killing that bastard. Please! Katie shouted, sobbing. You're a fucking sociopath! How does that help her? You don't understand because you weren't there. He tried to come after us. He would call and say he was coming to get us. We were paranoid, thinking he was every crack in the boards. He was every knock at the door. We started to get out, and he tried to pull us back. You were nowhere to be found! I was in basic training! which you ran off to because you wouldn't help. You're delusional. You want to know what it felt like? Oh, God, please! Katie cried, scooting away from the glass. It felt liberating. With every crack of that bat, I felt a little more free. After a while, I wanted to feel it, so I got on my knees and punched his broken face. It was gratifying. It was personal. before I was even brought home from the hospital, so as far as I'm concerned, I'm an immaculate conception. Sven grinned as he said it. He left because of my mom. She was a crazy crone, religious as shit. He stroked his St. Christopher medal as he told the story. My sis and I went to church instead of school. We knew the Bible back and front. We even had little contests, testing to see who knew Bible verses better. 
Roger rubbed down his rifle barrel with the rag, nodding along. It was the most Sven had ever said to him at once, and it was all spontaneous. She beat us regularly with a switch, crying and praying as she did so. It started when we were babies. I remember Gretch crying because she skinned her knee. Mother switched her until she passed out from the pain. That's just how it went. We didn't know any other way. Ben shrugged and Roger grunted in response. He didn't want the story to end, but he didn't know how to respond. I killed my first cat when I was seven. I didn't mean to do it at the time. I just wanted to know how it felt to beat something. I guess I got kind of a little carried away. But there's something to it. There was something holy. Something personal. It was like our souls were interconnected for just the briefest of moments. I understood the creature. I understood what it was feeling. And at that moment of death, I felt a tremendous release, like my life was worth something. It was the first time I felt that meaning. This time, Sven grunted. He cradled his rifle in his arms like a baby as he cleaned it. I both caused and freed that creature from torment. And I understood what Jesus meant by accepting our sins. It was like I was protecting everything I had ever done wrong into that cat. And in the moment of death, we were both released. I held on to that cat and cried for hours, both in love and sympathy. I tried again and again, but I couldn't get that feeling back. I thought maybe it only happened once with every species I killed. So I tried birds and dogs and even a deer. But I never got into that spiritual awakening again. I began to get restless. I began to feel like God had abandoned me. How could he give me just a taste of that joyous release? Then I saw my mother beat Gretch. When she was beating her, my mother kept saying something under her breath. I strained my ears, and between cracks, I was shocked to hear it was the Lord's Prayer. It thought on me I was striving too hard for the feeling. It wasn't the act that gave me release, it was also my state of mind. You can't really enjoy anything if you're too caught up in it. You need something to center you, something to personalize the matter. I needed a prayer for myself. I needed something that would give me release, something that would center me. So I used my life experience to create my own prayer. Roger looked at him expectantly. He had heard Sven say the prayer before, but he had never understood its meaning. He thought about Carl killing Pete, and he wondered if Carl prayed beforehand. Give me cover, for every path I take leads me astray. Give me trust. For everyone I know leaves me alone. Give me love for the care that I missed. Give me hope for the life I will lose. Give me patience for my regrets. Give me peace so that I may kill. You should use it, Raj. I see the excitement in you. I can see the dread hanging off you, the apprehension. You need something to center you, something to help you understand your place in the universe. Roger grunted again, but he inwardly marveled at how Sven could all at once be a sociopath, yet have such a deep understanding of what it meant to be human. I need to ask you a favor, brother, and I hate to do it this way. There was silence on the phone line, but Carl let it drag on. Roger knew Carl wanted him to talk first, but he didn't know what to say. Hello to you too, brother. How you been, Carl? He felt sweat moisten his palm. Listen, I'm sorry that we've been so distant, but I know things about you. I know when you rotated back to the world, you became a mercenary. I know you kept working as a sniper. I need something from you. Can't you at least tell me how our sister is doing? She won't talk to me either. Katie's fine. She lives in New York, and she works for a high-end lawyer. I'm surprised you called me and not her. 
This isn't something that she needs to know about. His tone was grave, and immediately Roger's throat went dry. Don't worry. You still don't have to be part of our family. But the family needs a favor. I got into trouble. Listen, if this is about drugs... It is. Tomorrow, you will be getting a contract for Pablo Hernandez. You need to make sure he's dead. He's the accountant for an up-and-coming cartel. He's ordered the deaths of many people, especially the ones who stole from the organization. Your sister's stupid husband stole money from him, and the organization won't leave her alone until he's gone. The accountant doesn't matter. The documentation as it matters. The cartel will still know. They'll still go after her. Roger's hands were wet. Not true. How do you know? Are you affiliated with them? Roger heard Carl breathe in sharply and then sigh into the phone. I'm Pablo, Roger. They won't come after her because I'll get rid of the records. But when I do that, they're going to come after me. And the things they would do, they'll make me tell them who owed the money. This, this is the best way. Roger didn't answer right away. You're asking me to kill you. Are you serious? Don't get fucking righteous on me now. You're the one who ran. You're the one who stayed away. You're the one who stays alone. You're the killer. We all inherited something from our fuck-up of a father. I inherited the foul temper and addictions. Katie inherited his tenacity, and you inherited the selfishness. I will never forgive you for running out on us like our mother. But you can do this one thing for us. I expect you to be responsible for once in your life. Katie will die without your help. I can't do that. There was no conviction in his voice. The shock was too much, and under a veil of confidence, there was a layer of fear eating away at him. His life had finally caught up to him. He had run to forget his childhood. He had run for a new beginning. He had run in the hopes that he would forget who he was. But he'd begun to realize that Sven was right. You need to embrace who you are. You need to understand your place in the universe. You better fucking do it! I've tried killing myself! I can't bring myself to do it! This is your retribution! This is what you were meant to do! I'm prepared. You better fucking do it! You must understand your place in the universe. Carl, I need something to center you. If you need me, you know I'm there. That's what I thought. Carl stood smiling in the center of his crosshairs. Roger took a deep breath and settled his finger on the trigger one more time. He thought it was ironic that he'd been so much closer to Sven than he ever was to his own brother. He thought about the juxtaposition between what his brother had told him on the phone and what Sven had told him while describing his life. This is what you were meant to do. You must accept your place in the universe. The prayer started to emit from his lips without him realizing it. Give me cover, for every path I take leads me astray. Carl turned back to the buyer, and Roger felt relief rush over him, knowing he wouldn't have to look Carl in the face. Give me trust, for everyone I know leaves me alone. His sister was married, and he hadn't even known about it. Carl was an accountant for a cartel, and he didn't know about it. Give me love for the care that I missed. His father had been killed by his son for past abuses, killed to accept the sins of the sons. Killed to absolve future wrongs. Give me hope for the life I will lose. That human feeling of expectation. That feeling that Sven knew so well. The life that you start to win or start to lose from the moment you are born. Give me patience 
for my regrets. Leaving when he did and coming back the way he did. Give me peace so I may kill. His finger slowly squeezed and a recoil conveyed the gravity of the situation. Through the scope, he saw Carl fall. The woman ran for cover. Roger quickly packed his materials, marveling at the simplicity of the act and the peace he felt. There was something terribly personal about his act. He had felt connected with his brother as he squeezed the trigger. He felt as though their spirits had briefly touched, and he felt gratitude and pride. Suddenly, he understood what Sven had been talking about during that story about the cat. That feeling as though it was meant to happen. This is what he was meant to do. He had saved his remaining family and found his place in the universe. His brothers helped him find the way. <laughs>